Hey, good morning, church. Welcome. Happy July 4th weekend. Great to be together. Uh, just a curiosity question. Uh, how many of you guys had neighbors that set off fireworks last night? Anybody? Anybody have neighbors setting off fireworks all night? Okay, there's a couple. Yeah, last night I think was the first time that we didn't have fireworks going off into the into the early, early morning. So for those of I'm thankful that we got some sleep last night. For those of you that didn't, I apologize and I'm sorry for your neighbors. But happy July 4th weekend. Great to be together. Hey, I just wanted to remind you, you probably received an email this week and we've been talking about this, but um, Jasmine, who is our summer intern, you guys know Jasmine, she leads worship and has been here for a number of years. She's doing a prayer and evangelism class. This is class number two and it's happening at the 1040 hour today. So um, just wanted to remind you, you can stick around. Uh, first class was awesome, and I'm assuming that the second class will be equally awesome. So if that is intriguing to you, and Jasmine's taken in a direction that I think maybe is different than maybe you've heard about prayer and evangelism, in the, but it will be new, I think, and fresh. So that will be in the conference room right behind us. So linger around after the first service, say hi to some folks, grab some coffee, and then uh, hit up the conference room, and Jasmine will meet you back there. Okay, so uh, we're going to um, jump back into Hebrews 11 this week. You can turn uh, in your Bibles. We launched in uh, this year, 2023, in January, and just said, hey, we're going to be in and out of Hebrews as the year goes on. And so uh, this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 17. We're actually, we're going to skip verses 13 to 16. We're going to come back to that, I think, probably in August. But I wanted to jump into verse 17 this morning, go out of order just a little bit. Um, We're going to be in Hebrews 11, and we're going to start in verse 17. This uh, invitation to live by faith with God, right? An incredible invitation. And Hebrews 11 is, uh, we'll call it the school of faith. So if you are ready to uh, learn how to live and trust God, well, then you've come to the right place in verse 17. Okay, Hebrews 11, verse 17, here we go. Uh, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. Okay, we're going to stop right there. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. You know that God tests us? Anybody like tests in school? Right, weren't they horrible? If you're a teacher, you're probably so sick and tired of tests. It seems like that's all we do these days in the classroom. We just test all the time. And here, this is a reference back to Genesis uh, where God is growing and schooling Abraham in how to follow him and how to live life with him. There's a point in time where God is going to give Abraham a specific and very poignant test. It's test time for Abraham. And when God is testing Abraham and when he tests us. God doesn't test us in order to fail us or to disprove us. What God does in testing us is he tests us to affirm us and to form us. Or I think about this. Um, This week I was with some of Megan's family and um, one of her nephews uh, is a Marine, did the Marine training, now is a Marine reservist. And he has been trained as a soldier. He's been through all the drills. He's learned. He's shot at targets. He's learned battlefield strategy. Like he's done all the things that a Marine needs to do to learn how to be a Marine. 
right? Um, but in military circles, there's a difference between someone who has been trained to be a soldier and then someone who we would refer to as a battle-tested soldier. Very different, right? I'm not maligning my nephew-in-law that he's not a real soldier. No, he's been trained. He knows how to do the things. He can shoot the guns. He knows how to navigate a battlefield. He understands strategy. But there's a difference between being trained in something and then actually, like, as a soldier, taking that training onto the battlefield and displaying it while bullets are whizzing past your head and things are blowing up. Right? There's something about the real battlefield that tests you and that qualifies you as a higher level soldier than just what you can get in boot camp and in learning and in training. A battle-tested soldier has been qualified as a soldier at a higher level than simply someone who's been through the training, right? Or to, to put it in a different context, um, like for, for an athlete, there's a difference between an athlete who is pretty good at training and practicing in the gym and then someone who over time has learned how to do that on the field of competition with people in the stands when it really matters. Or let, let's, let's take a boxer for example. Right? You can learn a lot of boxing skills in the gym and you can hit the heavy bag and work and learn how to throw punches. And you can even like figure out what you would do strategically if you were to get into a fight and pretend that the heavy bag that you're hitting is a real person. Okay? But as Mike Tyson famously says, right, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Meaning that there's a big difference between learning how to be a boxer in the practice gym compared to growing and being tested as a boxer in the ring where you're really punching somebody and they're really trying to punch you. After you've been through some real boxing matches, you get qualified as a boxer at a higher level than just simply the person who's been punching a bag all day. It's great to punch the bag, not maligning that. It's a good thing to do. But if you want to be a real boxer, you've got to get tested in the ring with a real person who's actually trying to hit you, right? There's plenty of athletes who look very good, and you might even get drafted high in the draft, right, because you look like a good athlete, but it doesn't always translate onto the field because not every athlete has been tested and approved through that testing. Not every soldier has been tested and approved. But for a battle-tested soldier and a fight-tested athlete, they've been elevated to a different status as a soldier and as an athlete. And what God wants to do when he tests us, again, he doesn't want to fail us. He's not looking to poke holes at us or make fun of us like, I knew you weren't going to get this one right. No, he tests us in order to qualify us at a higher level because he's always calling us to higher levels. So, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, right? I hope Abraham doesn't shrink back from the test that God threw at him. We'll find out in a second if he did. But the same thing bears true for us. If God is going to elevate us into higher levels of living, higher levels of relationship, higher levels of trusting him in the workplace, 
if he is going to qualify us, we must first allow him to test us so that we can become hardened and mature. So, let's see if Abraham is ready. Well, actually, let's see first off what, what exactly this test is that the Hebrew writer is ta- Hebrews writer is talking about. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, here's the test, Abraham offered up Isaac. Okay, uh, context here, book of Genesis, is uh, that God said to Abraham, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a whole mighty nation of people. Now, I'm going to make myself known to this nation, and they're going to walk with me, and then we're going to show the world what it looks like to follow me. And then Abraham waits and waits and waits to have offspring, doesn't have any kids, and he waits and he waits and he waits, and he continues to wait for this promise to be fulfilled, and he waits longer, and then finally, and we'll talk about a little intermediate problem that Abraham creates, but finally this son named Isaac comes. It's the son that he had with his wife, and through Isaac, God is going to grow this nation of people. And Abraham and his wife Sarah are excited about this child. They've received this child as a gift. And then what God says to Abraham is, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son to me. When, he said, when, he, when, when God said sacrifice, he means like really like take, take the knife. Like you must kill him. So can we just all admit that that, that is a hard test? It's a difficult one, right? It wouldn't be like you stepping into the ring and sparring with someone of comparable skill. It would be like you stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson. Like that's like, really God? This is how you're going to test me? That you're going to ask me to sacrifice my son whom you promised to give me, who I waited years for? Okay, this is hard. And there's no, uh, there's no way to, to wash this out and to make it go away. But I do want to make a point about the request that God made to Abraham to sacrifice his son, which is a hard ask of anyone. But here's the point I want to make. Who is asking you to do the hard thing? It, it makes a difference in the equation. Who, it depends who is asking you to do the hard thing. It matters. Um, anybody heard of the HBO documentary Band of Brothers? Came out 10, 15, 20 years ago. If you haven't heard of it, I'll tell you what it is. It's um, essentially a... Um, it's, it's a modern retelling of the story of uh, the 502nd Airborne in World War II that was dropped behind enemy lines um, at Normandy. And particularly it's about a, a group, uh, the company, the EZ Company, right? This exceptional band of soldiers that had this incredible track record for being awesome on the battlefield. And it was a show that was about their experience and who they were. And one of, the, one of my favorite characters, he's a real guy, right? This show was based on it, real events. But one of my favorite characters was a guy by the name of uh, Captain Winters. He didn't start off as Captain Winters, but over the course of the time as the war was going on, he elevated to the rank of captain. And the thing about Captain Winters is uh, in every position where he was leading other soldiers, he would never ask his soldiers to do something that he himself was not first willing to do. 
So like if you came upon a town and the town was enemy occupied and you had to go across 50 yards of open field, instead of saying, hey, you and you, you go get them. And then if, and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll follow, maybe we won't. It depends on what kind of resistance you get, right? That's not the kind of guy Captain Winters was, right? The more difficult the scenario was, that's when Captain Winters would say like, I'm going in first and y'all are going to follow me. Right? Captain Winters was the guy who was like on the front lines of battle with you so that you knew when he was saying, hey guys, it's time to go to the front lines, Captain Winters was going to be shoulder to shoulder with you going through the same things that he was asking you to go through. Okay? Um, Captain Winters was oftentimes the first one through the door in a difficult situation because he just knew as a leader, right, if I'm going to ask you to do something, I ought be willing to do it myself. I ought be willing to go shoulder to shoulder with you as I ask you to do this. Right? And there's something about right, receiving a hard invitation into a difficult environment. It, it doesn't make it easier but it, it does make it easier to swallow if you know that you're going with someone who is, who is going with you. The person who's asking you is going to suffer through the same things, right? The, the contrast of that would be someone who would ask you to do a hard thing and they are unwilling to join you in that. It would be like right, World War II, right? instead of Captain Winters being on your team, now you got some lesser leader, and this lesser leader is with you, and like there's the town, here's us, there's 50 yards of open field, and this lesser leader would say, I ain't going over there. I'm not risking myself, that's too dangerous. You guys go, you figure it out, after you figure it out, solve the problems, get into the town, then come back here and report to me, I'll be back in the, in the safety of this zone here. Right? It's it would be difficult to follow a leader right, who says, go to the front lines and let them have it, when that leader is unwilling to go to the front lines. But they would be back in the safe distance away from the battlefield, just sending instructions and, hey, don't give up. Go get them. Stop being lazy, right? Don't be a coward. Go. It's hard to receive that hard ask, go put your life on the line on the front lines, from someone who is distant and retreated and playing it safe, right? Who is making the ask to do the hard thing it makes a big difference regarding your ability to step in to the hard thing. So God says to Abraham, Abraham, it's, time, it's testing time. Not testing to weed you out or to disqualify you. It's testing time to qualify you. Abraham, you're going to have to offer up to me your son. God is Captain Winters. That's what I'm saying here. God never asks us to do something that he himself has not done or is unwilling to do. So let's say at some point in your future, God's going to put you to the test. And he's going to put a difficult scenario in front of you. And he says to you, hey, son, daughter, in this particular situation, you know the situation, I need you to say that thing. Oh, I don't want to say that thing. I know, saying that thing, it's a hard ask. I know. But I need you to say the thing. Right? Here's what you need to know. Jesus has been there. 
Jesus, Jesus has been asked by the Father to say some hard things, and he, and he knows what it's like. He's not asking you to do something he's never, ever done. Right? When, when God asks you to, to leave where you are and to go to a new place, that's a hard ask because you're comfortable, you like it, all your friends, your family, everything you know is there. And in this new place, it's scary, it's distant. Right? That's a hard ask that God may give some of us. And to that, Jesus would say, been there. The Father has asked me to, to do the same thing. I know, I know what it's like. It doesn't make it any easier, but it just puts who's asking in the proper context. Right? So for some of us, God is, is going to ask us to suffer. Oh, that's, oh God, that's tough. And Jesus says, yeah, it is. I've, I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. And I'm with you. I'm with you in this. I'm not asking you to do something that I have never done myself. Right? Maybe you're in a point in life where like, your faith journey right now is requiring that you pour your life out in service to very difficult people whom it is hard for you to like. It's a hard ask. It requires faith to trust God in that environment. And Jesus says, yep, I know all about that. I had 12. One of them betrayed me. All of them abandoned me. They oftentimes didn't understand what I was saying and questioned me about simple things that I was saying. The people that I came to rescue and to save, they crucified me. What's it like to pour out your life for people that aren't receiving it and enjoying it and thankful for it? Jesus says... And there, done that. I get it. I understand. It doesn't make it any easier, but it does put it in context. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. God, you are asking Abraham to lay down his only son. That is a hard ask that you are putting before him. And the father says, yeah, Abraham, I... I know exactly how that feels. Oftentimes we ought not say that to somebody who's in pain and suffering. Oh, I know how you feel. It's probably good for us to not say that. But for Abraham to think about, right, to foreshadow what it would be like for him to offer his son, that's a hard thing God's asking him to do. The father says, Abraham, I know all about that. Because I, I am going to offer my only son. The only difference here, though, is that, Abraham, when you get to the point where it's time to offer your son, I'm going to say, stop. You're not going to have to do it. But the father knows that no one's going to say stop to him. He's going to have to do it. God never asks us to do something that he himself has not done or is unwilling to to do. It doesn't make the request any easier, but it does shed some light on it, that I, and I think we need this light shed on some of the things that God invites us into and puts in front of us. We can trust him. He's been there, and he goes with us. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, 
offered up Isaac. That's faith. And continue in verse 17. And he who received the promises, that's Abraham, the promises of a son and offspring through Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. The knife was coming down. That's faith. And he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive him back. Abraham was willing to go through with this hard ask, trusting God, simply because and only because he knew who God was. He knew who God was, and he trusted him because he knew who he was. And I love this verse here. It it puts this whole event in Genesis into context, that, that Abraham is dropping the knife on his son, and as he does, his faith is telling him that even if God asks him to go through with this, that God will, on the other side of this, will resurrect, he'll bring his son back. Abraham believes God that much. That if he were to sacrifice his son as he is in the act of doing, that God will bring him back alive, right? Or if God doesn't bring him back alive in the form of a resurrection, that God, that Abraham is anticipating some other miraculous act that God will perform so that this thing that Abraham thinks is going down isn't going to go down, right, in this negative way. He's just trusting God for something absolutely amazing. And then amazing happens, right? Abraham's faith is put to the test and Abraham is approved. And then as the knife is coming down, God says, stop! And Abraham stops. And that, like, he knew some miracle, something beautiful was coming out of this. He didn't know what. But when God said stop, like Abraham's like, that's it. I knew you were going to do something like that. I'm thankful that you did it before the knife came down. But he trusted God with it. Now regarding what Abraham does here, there's something brilliant regarding a life of faith and life with God that we have to learn from Abraham or our lives are going to be train wrecks. Okay? There's some lessons that we've got to get from Abraham, from Hebrews 11, that will, I think, make a massive difference for how we live the rest of our lives if we actually catch this, right? Here's, here's, um, here's one thing that we have to catch. If Abraham disobeys God and says, God, I know that you are testing me here. I know that you are asking me to sacrifice my son Isaac. I know you're doing that. And if Abraham were to say, no, thank you very much. Anything else? I'll offer my wife up. I'll offer anybody else in the family's fair game, right? I'll, I'll move. I will, I'll give up half of my kingdom. You name the animal, God, it's yours. But not Isaac. That's where I draw the line. He's off limits. Abraham could have done that. 
But the problem is, as soon as Abraham disobeys God's word, from that moment on, I want you to catch this now, from that moment on, Isaac is on Abraham. So let that set in for a second. From the moment when Abraham says, no God, I'm not going to sacrifice Isaac to you, from that moment on, Isaac is Abraham's responsibility, not God's. And that is a heavy, heavy burden. Think about it like this. Isaac was a gift from God to Abraham. Beautiful gift, right? And God made it Abraham wait such sufficient time that when he received the gift of Isaac, it was like receiving a gift on the other side of, right, just waiting and longing and yearning. There's something about a gift given at that time that is received with even more thankfulness, right? Isaac was a gift. And so, because Isaac was a gift, here's what Abraham can do with Isaac. He can entrust and trust God with Isaac, Right, this gift, God, that you have given in the form of my son, he is from you. I now have the ability to trust him to you and right, that he is yours. And because Abraham can trust and entrust Isaac to him, to the father, now what Abraham is free to do is he is free to outsource to God provision and protection over Isaac for the remainder of Isaac's days. Not that Abraham is not a good father. Abraham is still going to step in in an earthly fashion and do all the provision and protection that he is able to do. But you, we all recognize there's only so much we are able to do regarding provision and protection of the people in our lives. Right? There's dangers abounding. And now, wait, because Isaac is a gift from God, Abraham can trust that God is going to care for him, protect him, and provide for him. That is, a, that is a freeing kind of relationship to have with your child here. And from that place of freedom, of entrusting God to be his provider and protector, now Abraham is simply like free to enjoy his relationship with his son. Right? And that's a, that is such a special relational place to be with someone where you're free to enjoy the relationship because you're entrusting that relationship into the arms of the Father. Right? That is such a beautiful place. So now relationship with Isaac, who was the gift, continues to be the gift because that's all he is. He's a gift. And now that relationship to you as father to son is light and enjoyable. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Abraham says, thank you, God, for the gift of Isaac. What a joy to entrust this gift to you, right? But as soon as Abraham disobeys, now Abraham and Isaac enter a new stage in their relationship where now Abraham is the responsible party for Isaac, Abraham is the one who's got to be in control regarding caring and protecting and providing for Isaac. And that is, that's a difficult place to be. So now in the relationship with Isaac, fear and anxiety just floods in. Because you can't entrust his protection and provision to God. Now that's on you. 
Now I'm the one who's got to make sure that all the dangers stay far away and make sure that we've got a plan for him after I leave and all, all the worries of what could happen and all the people around us who might want to take care of us and maybe come after us. Now Abraham's got to shoulder all of that and now that becomes a stress-filled, anxious, laden relationship for him. There's no enjoying relationship in that context. You can't enjoy a relationship like that, right? Have you ever seen a parent who, and I, I'm, let me see, maybe if you, you're looking at me right now, I have been a parent who like stresses out about the safety of my kids, right? The Lord is leading me into the place where like, like as he invites Abraham, like just release your kids and trust them to me. There's a difference between a parent who is freaked out about all the potential bad things that can happen to their kid and then a parent who is right still responsible making good wise decisions but entrusting god with the care and protection of their kids the right these parents will have very different very different relationships with their kids very different and abraham's would shift considerably stress that would become a heavy burdensome relationship that actually probably over time because abraham loved isaac so much this relationship would actually crush abraham the gift would become something that is actually starting to feel a lot like a curse we ought not cut god out and take over and that's what this test is for abraham god is not being mean he's not being vindictive he's not just trying to make abraham's life difficult what god is doing is reminding abraham that isaac is a gift and you can trust me with him Let's go into the battlefield now with that, Abraham. Let's get into the ring and let's test this thing out. You can trust him to me. That is the only way you will actually be able to continue with him as a gift and not as a curse. Continue to release him to me. Continue to let him go to me. Stop clinging and trying to manage him on your own. That is the way of relational death. We ought not cut God out and take over. The only way not to do that is to trust and obey and to do what the Lord is saying. You guys ever heard um, of the play Cyrano de Bergerac? Anybody ever heard of that? Uh, it's, uh, I forget who wrote the play, but it's been redone in modern tellings uh, of American movies for decades now. But essentially, there, there's this point in the movie i just want to make i think this draws this point out um but in the play cyrano de bergerac there's um there's uh one of the characters is like a master poet like words flow out of his mouth like paint off of an artist's palette just gifted with words and you could just sit and listen to the guy and be entranced by him and there's another character in the story who is um who is horrible with words Everything that comes out of his mouth is jumbled and bumbled, and it, it's, not, it's not making any impact on the people around him. And this, this guy who's not gifted with words is attracted to a, a young woman. 
and he wants to woo her, but he knows that he doesn't have the words to be able to do it. Okay? So what, what the not good with words guy does is, is he grabs the master poet and says, I need your help. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this place. Like the, like, let, let's, let's paint the scene here. The, the young woman's going to be up in the balcony, right? I'm the not good with words guy. And then we're going to plant the master poet right here in the bushes so she can't see him. She doesn't know he's here. She just knows I'm here. But he's going to start feeding me lines, and I'm going to hear them, and then I'm going to say them. And her perception is that it's just coming from me. She can't see the master poet over here hiding in the bushes. So this, let, let's play a scenario out here where this is going on. I'm the average words guy, master poet over here, and then my young lass who I'm trying to woo is up in the balcony. Let's say Megan. Megan, my wife, is up in the balcony. I'm trying to woo her again this morning. Here we go. So, all right best thing for me to do right now, because I don't know what to say, is I'm listening to the master poet. You can't hear him because he's being quiet. I hear him. Okay, now, good. Hey, Megan, do you know what rhymes with cucumber? Girl, can I have your number? <laughs> like that's Shea, it's, Shea, it's a line from Shakespeare. It's really good. Just go with me. Just wor- work with me here for a second, Okay. Roses are red, violets are blue. That doesn't rhyme, but will you be mine? Okay, we're just pretending that this is, this is good verse, okay? The master poet is feeding this. I'm just listening and reciting. But let's say that I can tell right now, like Megan is, is hanging on every word that is coming out of my mouth. This is working. And I start to get confident, like, yeah. She's starting to hear me. She sees me. This, this is actually going somewhere. And suppose in my confidence that I suppose, hey, I probably have some things that I could say that might actually be good for her too. And then I, I stop listening to the master poet and I start doing stuff on my own. And then here, here's what I say, right? I don't, don't need you anymore right now because this is going so well. I say, hey, Megan, you look good in those jeans. And Megan's face is like, what? I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, it's not, uh, it's, not, it's not going the same way that it was going before. Shoot. And so what I'm going to do right now, it's, I don't have a next line. All, all that I came to, all that I could think of was, girl, you look good in those jeans. That's, that's all I got. So now what I need to do is I'm going to look over to the master poet. And the master poet's over here going, I can't work with that. That's all you, Brian. That was yours. You got to finish this thing. I had a next line for you. You chose not to receive that line. You threw out, hey girl, Megan, you look good in those jeans. He doesn't have a line to finish that. I started it. Now things are taking a turn. I have now taken responsibility for this situation on my own. Oh no. Now we're in trouble. Things aren't looking as good. Abraham knows this. He's been here before. Think back to the time. This is before God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Remember when Abraham and Sarah, before they have any kids, they flee to Egypt, they flee from a famine. 
And Abraham goes into Egypt afraid for his life. Do you know why Abraham is afraid for his life? Because Sarah is beautiful. It's just what the text tells us. Abraham knows that the Egyptian men are going to want his wife, and he thinks they're going to kill him in order to get her. So instead of trusting God to provide and protect, that's what the master poet is saying, Abraham, I got you. She's your wife. Walk in with confidence. If they mess with you, I'm going to mess with them. That's what the master poet is saying. Abraham's like, no, no, no. I got this one. Girl, you look good in those jeans. Now, that's not what he says. He says this. She's my sister. I'm not married to her. She's free game. She's single. And do you know what happens? The Pharaoh, he recognizes an attractive woman. Pharaoh takes Sarah into his household. Do you know what that means? Not great things for Sarah. Not great things for Abraham's relationship with Sarah. Abraham knows what happens when Abraham says, "I, I got this next line. This next line's on me. He's been there. He's done that. He's experienced the train wreck of that. Right? And then you remember when God made Abraham wait, 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 wait for the promised son that would come through his wife Sarah, Abraham got, got tired of waiting. He thought, maybe God has abandoned me. He said, I, I, I don't hear the master poet's next phrase. I don't know when this child's coming. So, hey, my wife's got a maidservant, Hagar. Let's just go ahead and figure this son thing out with her because it ain't happening through Sarah. Right? Abraham says, hey, master poet, I got this next line. Hagar, you, you look good in those jeans, right? That's about the quality of verse regarding Abraham's decision-making here. And then, right, then there's the child. It's, right, um, Ishmael is the, is the product of this. Abraham's got this. And what happens over time is what, what always happens when we say, no, God, I, I got this. A train wreck ensues in so many ways that actually has played out geopolitically over time. Now it's to people groups. It never goes well when we stop receiving our next line from the master poet. The best thing we can do is just hear, and even if it doesn't make any sense, roll with it, keep going with it. Because when you stop going with it, the next thing that you do, now it's on you, right? And every time we do that, now, we, we make a train wreck of our lives. We look over to God, and God's like, I don't know. That's, I didn't tell you to do that. It got complicated now. How many times do our lives twist and turn in this train wreck kind of a fashion? Because we try to manage things on our own in ways that make sense to us. God, I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to take this one on my own. Abraham knows this. And so what he's going to do now, at the mature age that he is, he's going to trust God with what God gives. When God gives it, and only as God wants to keep giving it. And he's going to trust God when God decides to take something away. Because Abraham is tired of trying to do this thing on his own. And is this a hard ask from God? Oh, you betcha. But Abraham knows that doing anything other than what God asks is way harder and way nastier. 
and he knows that God is good, so we're just going to keep trusting him. And if we only trust God when we get good things and we get to keep those good things, if that's the only time we trust him, let's just be honest, that's not faith. Um, It is simply agreeing that what God has given is good. There's no faith required in that. It's, It's akin to thankfulness. And thankfulness is a quality that we ought to have. God, thank you for this good thing. Thankfulness is not faith. Simply liking what he gave us is not faith. The only time we're actually able to trust him is when it doesn't seem immediately like a good good thing. That's the only time when faith actually is faith. Otherwise, it's just thankfulness. God, I like that. Very good. Thumbs up. I agree. God wants to give us good gifts. Things that we like, things that we enjoy, things that we appreciate. But that's not all that he wants to do. He wants us to really trust him. To know that his next line is going to be the best thing, whether it makes sense to us or not. And to just keep flowing with him, keep rolling with him. Because that's the only way to keep life out of our hands and to keep it in his. That's the faith invitation. And Abraham finally got there. And the Lord would love to see us get there as well. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing a couple more songs and we're going to take communion. And at communion, right, what, a, what a cool celebration it is. Uh, that, and we've talked about this story, I think even within this last calendar year, um, that this picture of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son was, it was a test for Abraham But more than that, it was a foreshadowing of what the ultimate father would do with his beloved only son. That he would lay him down for the sake of opening the door to us to also be in his family. That we would be washed clean because the father laid down his son. And so we're going to celebrate that, right? You guys know that the, the juice that we take is a picture of the blood that Jesus poured out, that the... The, the, the crackers that we received, the picture of Jesus' broken body, and this was all done for us. The father laying down his son in order to invite back into the family sons and daughters. It's the only way. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take the bread and the cup this morning. If you are not, just invite you to observe. And um, any questions that you have, boy, we are here to be patient with you and, uh, and to talk with you through that. But just invite you to observe and to watch if, again, if, you're, if you have not received the gift. Guys, come on forward, and we're going to pass the elements out at any point in the next couple of songs. Um, with great thankfulness in your heart, uh, receive the bread and the cup. And then and also, right, thankfulness is just agreeing that what God has given is good. And that is a good thing for us to cultivate. But beyond that, he wants us to trust him and trust him in things that don't immediately seem good to us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Father, thank you that you did not stop your hand from coming down upon your son. God, you, you told Abraham to stop. You didn't want him to do that. You just wanted Abraham to get a glimpse into what it was that you were going to do for him and for all of Abraham's offspring 
who live by faith. Thank you that poured out blood of your son Jesus washes over us, cleanses us, and ultimately sets us free to know that you are a good God and we can trust you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name.